Well, as we prepare our hearts for this journey over the next six weeks, we start with week one. It's Sunday, and it's the last Sunday that Jesus will spend before laying down his life. And what intrigued me about this week was this question. If you knew you had one week left on this earth, what would you do? What would you do? You know, maybe, maybe you would um, quit your job and say, forget it, you know? And, and uh, or maybe, maybe you would invite all your family over and say, look, I've only got one more week left, and so I, I want to spend it with those who I really love. Or you may have to make some phone calls and, uh, and to say to people, you know, hey, I'm sorry, you, you not, may need to make some things right with people. Some of you may go on a, on a trip, or a really quick trip, to say, you know, I've always wanted to see this location, or, or visit this, or, or do this, and, and you, you may do that as well, okay? Uh, or, or between Krispy Kreme and ice cream, you may live it up, you know? Like, who cares? Whatever, whatever's in your, in your mind that you would do in the last week of your life. I know some people, they, they have actually had only a week left of their life. We've, we've actually had to bury people within Lake, Lake Point Church, and some of y'all had to bury people and say goodbye to people who, because of health reasons, only had maybe a week left of their life, and, and how they lived it. They surrounded it by family and friends. But what's interesting about that question, you know, Jesus was in full health. There wasn't anything wrong with Jesus. He knew full well what he was going to do, and it's very, very interesting what how he spent how he spent the last few days of his life, and so it's Sunday, and on this day it's called Palm Sunday. Even though today, this Sunday, this date is not Palm Sunday, it's usually celebrated the Sunday before Easter. But on this particular day, on the Sunday of Jesus' last day, last Sunday before he laid down his life. Um, something really incredible happened. Something amazing happened. But I wanted to bring you there to the point to, I want you to understand sort of the dynamics that was happening in Jerusalem. So it was Passover week, okay? So as, as Passover was approaching towards the end of the week, many people came to Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people came uh, to Jerusalem from all across the world at that time, and they came to prepare for the Passover, through, through cleansing and, and temple worship and those kinds of things. And so they came to Jerusalem and the surrounding, the surrounding area for Passover week. So this area was, was crowded with people, okay? So that's number one, and you're, 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 you're a part of that. So just picture yourself in that crowd of people. But also, what's interesting to note is that the Jews were ruled by a government called Rome. So Rome was in authority. Caesar ruled over it all, and they were really not a free people. In fact, Roman soldiers could just kill at will. They walked around with, with swords, and, and it, it, it was a very, very strong and strict rule. And so... But the Jews knew what was coming because of the prophets 
of old. The prophets of old talked about a Messiah, someone who would come and someone who would free them. Well, what they didn't realize is that the freedom that Jesus was going to offer was freedom from sin. But in their mind, they're thinking freedom from Roman tyranny. Freedom from their loved ones not being killed, their, 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 their wives not being raped, their, those things that are happening in, 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 in Rome at the time, in, in the Roman Empire. And so they are thinking, we're going to have a Messiah who's going to come and he's going to set us free. What well, Jesus fits that description. Jesus had been teaching, up to this point he had been teaching in his ministry for three years. So here he is, it's, it's A.D. 33, and, and, and Jesus has uh, just a week before, just a few days before, he, is, he has raised someone from the dead. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. Everybody's talking about it. And, and he was in the tomb for a few days, and he still said, Lazarus, come forth. The town, the area is, is electrified. They're, they're thinking, finally, we have someone who could set us free. He's even raising people from the dead. Rome has no authority over someone who can raise someone from the dead. So everyone's here. Thousands of people are gathered. And Jesus spends the night in Bethany in a little village outside of Jerusalem. And he's there with some of his friends and his disciples he spends the Sabbath, which is about Friday evening to Saturday evening. And then on Sunday, he decides to come into town. And when he comes into town, everybody hears about it. And what's really interesting, that biblical uh, scholars tell us that whenever uh, Jews would come to the holy city and the surrounding areas, they would sort of set up in, in, in areas around Jerusalem in families and in clans and, and, and by tribes. What's really interesting is that biblical scholars would tell us that the, the, uh, the people around Galilee where Jesus grew up, they, they would sort of set up their tent around outside of Jerusalem, but that area was in between Bethany where Jesus was, and Jerusalem. So people that Jesus knew, people that Jesus grew up with, that everybody knew that Jesus was on his way. Surely Jesus was gonna come into town. And so Jesus and the disciples begin to, they begin to make their way towards Jerusalem. And they, they make a, you know, a, a few stops, and, and, it, and it's a, a gradual walk to Jerusalem. It's about three miles and so while they're walking, before they get to Jerusalem, Jesus tells his, uh, his disciples, <clears throat> okay, I need you to go and get a donkey. And so there's this one particular donkey you'll find tied, and maybe something that Jesus sort of foreknew, or maybe he pre-planned, maybe he talked to that, or maybe he just knew. But we know this, that the, that the disciples when they got to that location, there was a donkey. They untied it. They asked, what, what did they need of the donkey? And they said, well, the Lord needs it. They said, okay. And so 
Jesus asked him to go get the donkey, and as Jesus was between walking and, and riding on the donkey, as he was coming into Jerusalem, you see people laying down their coats, their, their outer garments, okay? People would wear multiple garments, and so they would take their outer garment, and they would lay it down on the path. This, it's, it's actually common. And so also they would take palm branches they would cut them from the trees, and they would lay a path. I can imagine that word spread from Bethany, that three-mile journey to Jerusalem. Words trickled in, hey, Jesus is coming. So they made a way. Before Jesus even got there, the path was laid. The path was already there because of word of mouth. And they laid the palm branches and their outer garments away. You know, it's really similar to the way that Jesus made, the way that Jesus made the salvation. Yeah, they, with human hands, laid a path for the king of kings to come forward. But it's a symbol of the way that Jesus made for us. Jesus is the way maker. He is the one who makes the way for salvation. That is who Jesus is. He is our way maker. And as we get into this word this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 12 in this section of the, uh, of the sermon and this section of the message. So if you have your copy of God's word, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 12, verse 12 through 19. And it goes like this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. We sang a song earlier this morning, Hosanna. Shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, has come from, um, from Zechariah. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Verse 16. At first, his disciples, now this is John writing. Look at John, one of his disciples, very close disciple. At first, we, his disciples, didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they or did we realize that these things had been written about him and that these things have been done to him? So the disciples are kind of in on this whole thing of, hey, Messiah's here. We're going we're gonna to go after Rome, and Rome's gonna, not going to touch it. Rome can't, Rome can't uh, overthrow someone who can raise the dead. All the miracles he's done in his life. Verse 17, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And this starts or continues the conflict between what Jesus is saying 
in the old law, the old Pharisees, and what they were doing. But there's also another conflict. There's a conflict with Rome. You see, Rome, Rome doesn't stand, doesn't put up with other leaders. They don't put up with other kings. We're talking about a Messiah, a new king, in the form of, of David. And the, and the Israelites know this. The Jews know this. They're familiar with the prophecies. And so Jesus comes in, and yeah, I would imagine they're a little surprised at him riding on a donkey. They probably would, would envision more a, 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 a tall white horse, maybe he's riding as a victor with a huge sword. That's what they had in their mind for a conqueror. But he wasn't there to conquer Rome. He came to earth to conquer sin in our lives. And as we walk down this last week of his life, we're going to see more of that unfold. But it's interesting that at this point, Jesus draws a line in the sand. He makes a commitment. He's really past the point of no return. Because only two things are going to happen. He's either going to overthrow Rome or he's going to be killed. That's a fact. You can't go into a city like this and have thousands of people in, in an uproar and, and excited about a potential new king and who's going to overthrow Rome and Rome not get wind of that. And also, the Pharisees and what Jesus has been saying all along, and, and we're going to get in more of that throughout the next few weeks, but the Pharisees wouldn't put up with it as well. So Jesus drew a line of the sand. There was no turning back. He announced just by doing this action that he is king of kings and he's lord of lords and he is the one worthy of the crown. But not in a victor sort of way with Rome, but in a victorious sort of way with the sin in our life. You know, let me ask you a question. Who in your life is wearing the crown? Who is wearing a crown in your life? Who have you made way to come into your life? Just like, just like the people in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem. During that Passover week, they made a way for Jesus to come in. Have you opened and cleared the path for Jesus to come into your life and for Jesus to wear the crown? And your life. Have you taken off your own crown of your own life and say, you know what? It's not about me. I don't need to wear the crown. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. Have you made a way for Jesus? Have you laid down yourself? Have you taken off, just like the the, the Israelites, taken off their outer garments. Have you taken off the self, your old self? Have you laid it down and made a way for Jesus to come into your life? Now, you may have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and that's awesome. 
or maybe you haven't. Even It doesn't matter. That's a decision that we've got to do every day because, see, we have a tendency to wear the crown. There's many days where Frank Bennett wears his own crown, and my crown gets knocked off because I'm like, okay, that didn't really work out like that, did it? But Jesus needs to be the ruler and the one who wears the crown in my life, period. So who's wearing your crown? It needs to be Jesus. It needs to be Jesus who is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, and we will crown him with many crowns. Who is wearing the crown in your life? Are you crowning Jesus? Are you starting off each day putting the crown and making sure he is wearing the crown in your life? Because let me tell you what, in heaven, he's wearing the crown. He's wearing the crown in heaven, but is he wearing the crown in your life? You know, as we go back to Jesus riding on a donkey, you know, I've often wondered, why would Jesus do that? I mean, even if he wasn't going to overthrow the Roman government, I get that. He was here to conquer sin and death, not to defeat a government. But even if he was, wasn't planning on doing that, at least he can ride on something better than a donkey. I mean, you know, he can get some better wheels than that, right? So I've often wondered that. You may have wondered the same thing. But obviously, you know, Scripture... He's fulfilling scripture. He's fulfilling prophecy through that. But more importantly, more than just fulfilling prophecy, what he's doing is he's showing something not only to the people in Jerusalem, but he's showing something to you, and he's showing something to me. You see, you and I and our sinfulness we don't need someone who's high and mighty. We don't need someone who's riding on a white stallion. We need someone who's riding on a donkey. We need someone who is approachable. We need someone that doesn't think so, uh, so much of themselves. We need someone who thinks of us, who loves us. Jesus riding on a donkey proves that he's approachable and he loves us. And it's interesting, Bethany, that area around Jerusalem, it actually means poor village. Jesus came from somewhere poor and came into, through the city gates, riding on a donkey. You and I, to accept Jesus Christ, we need that. We need that person. Jesus longs to have a way and make a way to your heart. He's already made the way to salvation. But you have to make a way for him to come into your heart. You've you got to open the door. Jesus said he, he's the one that knocks, but you open the door. And it's a door that really, 
must be opened every day. Obviously, for salvation for him to come into your life, into your heart, that is a one-time decision, but it's an everyday decision. Jesus, I need you to walk with me today. I'm opening the door. Come in. Come see all my junk. See it all. And a guy on a white stallion is not that guy. But a guy who's come from a poor village, who's come and said, it doesn't matter where you come from, where you live, what you have done. Look, I am that Messiah. I'm that Messiah. And the disciples didn't even, no one really realized that until after, after he had resurrected and after he spent some time on this earth and in his father, and the Holy Spirit came in their life, and, and the disciples were like, okay, this makes perfect sense now why he would ride on a donkey. So we need Jesus riding on the donkey to approach him. But can I tell you something? That's not where it ends. That's not where it ends. Because Jesus does come in power and might, and strength. The Jesus, the Messiah that people really wanted on that day in Jerusalem is the Jesus that we will see, that all mankind will see at the end of the age. We see it in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we see this in Revelation chapter, chapter 19, and it says this in verse 11. I've got a few verses here. Chapter 19, verse 11 in Revelation. And this is, so what's interesting about this, the writer of a, a Revelation is the same writer of what we just read, John, John the disciple. And so John, obviously wrote the book, uh, the, the gospel of John, but he's also seeing this vision here in Revelation of the coming victor the Messiah. So John didn't see it that day, but John sees it now. John understands this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for to conquer all evil in this world, all mankind. Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. We just sing about that. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. How cool is that? He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, right? So picture the armies, all the armies of heaven, they're following after Jesus, who's on this white horse. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On his thigh is written, it's a tattoo. <laughs> Jesus has a big tattoo. 
King of kings and Lord of lords on his thigh. Yeah. That's the guy. That's the guy that we needed to ride into Rome. That's the guy who needed to overthrow the Roman government. King of kings and Lord of lords. Man, he's, he's riding victorious. He's got an army coming. But no. Not in A.D. 33. In fact, biblical scholars have identified the actual date, March 29th, A.D. 33. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Not on a stallion, but on a donkey. Why? So that you can accept him. You can receive him. He comes humbly. In royalty, yes. But royalty wrapped in humility. That's how Jesus comes. In verse 19. As we go on. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had uh, performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur which is hell, the rest were killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. I think that's an extra couple of verses. I think it's pretty cool. So at the end of the day, at the end of the time, mankind, at the end of the age, Jesus is going to come riding on a horse, and he's going to defeat Satan. He's going to throw him at hell. And those who are marked with the Holy Spirit, who have accepted Christ, whether they've gone on, have died, and, or whether they're resurrected, uh, resurrected, or, or whether they're, they're uh, received up to heaven in the rapture, we will forever be in heaven, victorious, without evil, because evil has been vanquished. Evil has been defeated. So don't think when you accept Jesus Christ, you're accepting this guy who can't even find a horse, okay? Don't think that, that Christianity is, is just about following someone who is, is so wimpy that he can't muster up more than, than 12 you know, followers that are with him all the time. He can't even muster up an army. He can't even train people how to use a sword. Can I tell you something? For those who follow Christ, that is the same Jesus, and he is coming, and he cannot wait to show his power and his might and his strength. But that same power we just read in, in Revelation, that same power he wants to show in your life. But first... You need to accept him. And he knows you won't do that unless he rides on a donkey. So let me ask you this. Have you accepted Christ as Savior? Have you said, I surrender my life to you? I humbly accept you. 
Have you, have you accepted the way that Jesus made for salvation? Have you made your way for him to come into your life? To remove all distractions aside, to, to remove all of your pride out of the way, to remove those things out of the way and make a way. Say, Jesus, here's the path. Come right into my heart. Come into my life. And that's, a, that's a decision we gotta, we gotta make every day. He's the way maker. And he wants you to do the same. Make a way for him to come into your life. The crown that you wear in your life Take it off. Stop wearing it. It's not getting nowhere, trust me. And put it on Jesus. Let him be the ruler of your life. And know that when you're going through problems, you're going through issues, you're going through junk in your life, the Jesus that is in your life and in your heart that you surrender your life to, he's, he's, yeah, he's that guy riding on the donkey, but he's also the guy riding on the sword with a big tattoo, king of kings and lord of lords, and a big sword, and he is going to defeat hell, Satan, and everything. At the end of the age, he lives inside you. So as we close and before the, we stand and sing one more song, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you this opportunity. So every head bowed, every eye closed. This is a very important part of our, of our worship service. Maybe here today because you just kind of found us through a sign on the road. Or maybe you're here because your kid's here. And, and one, of our, one of our youth talked to your student, your kid in the coming to merge weekend. And you're kind of here and, or whatever. And you're like, okay, I have to pick my kid up. So I guess I have to go to church. And, or whatever that looks like. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe... Maybe you have even accepted Christ as Savior down the road, but, but along the way, you've kind of lost your way. And you're wearing that crown, and you're tired of wearing that crown, and you need to give that crown to Jesus. You've not surrendered your life to Him. So if you're here today, and you want to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, it's simple like this. Just say this prayer right where you're at. If you've never accepted Him, just say, Lord Jesus. Please forgive me. I'm sorry for the things I've done. Please help me to live for you. Please come into my life. Please forgive me my sin. Please be Lord of my life. I'm tired of wearing my own crown. You be King of Kings. Lord of lords in my life. And if you're sitting here today and you just need a refresher, you just need, you just need to align your life to the King of Kings. Just do that right now. Say, Jesus, I give my crown. I take it off and I give it to you. I give it to you. I'm making a way for you every day. From now on, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not blocking that door. I'm making a way for you to come in, for you to speak to me. I'm opening up your word. I'm praying. I'm making those opportunities for you to come into my day, for you to come into my family, for you to speak to me. I'm going to make the way. Because I know this, you're not going to kick down doors. That's not you. You do that at the end of the age kick down enemies 
right now, you're just riding a donkey. So, Lord, I invite you. I invite you. Be Lord. Be my Savior. Be my hope. Be my hope. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, that's one thing we all need is hope. It's hope we need that hope. And that hope is alive. It's not just some kind of hope that's like, oh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's really there. It's a living hope because Jesus Christ, yeah, he laid down his life, but he rose again and he, and he rules and reigns from heaven. And he's crowned and he sits on his throne and he is alive and he's giving you hope. That hope is alive here today where you receive that hope.